This is Meditations for Misfits, and I'm Fred Gruy. Welcome. In this week's podcast, we reflect on the parable of Jesus, as recorded in St. Luke's chapter 14. It's called The Great Banquet. The focus of this reflection will be on how to not allow the fear of not having enough cause us to miss the divine invitation of God's amazing grace in the here and now. You will be glad to know that this is the last of the parables that we'll mess with this summer. Next week, we'll get on to something else. We've been looking at different parables of Jesus all summer long, and I figure you've had enough of that. So we'll, uh, we'll start something different next week. There's many more parables, by the way. I don't even know that we got through uh, a quarter or a third of them. Jesus was a masterful storyteller, as this one this morning, hopefully we'll see in a moment. Uh, and as we look at the text that Ellen read to us, there's several things about this text you should know. One is the context of the text. An old preacher used to say, without a context, any text is just a pretext. And so the context, Jesus is having a meal with a bunch of other folks and was the custom that people were vying for their position at the table and everybody was elbowing to get up close to the host and Jesus told them how silly it was that they were fighting for position at the table. And uh, so that's the context of this story. And so then somebody says, well, it'll be different with the, the banquet at the realm of God. And Jesus goes on to talk about how the king the God figure in this story, wants to throw a banquet. And, and it's God's desire that the banquet hall be filled. And so the first invited come up with all these excuses of why they can't come. Now, these parables, these stories of Jesus, as I've shared, can be read and seen on many levels. One Theologian says they're much like diamonds, and every time you twist them in the light, you see a different facet or a different beauty uh, every time you move it. And there are layers and layers of meanings within these texts, which is why I think they've endured so long, you know, for over 2,000 years. Well, the, the original hearers of this story, so this is one facet or one layer of meaning that this story would hold. And one of the things you should be aware of is Jesus ran into a lot of trouble because he was in many ways assaulting the national story, the national myth of who the Jewish folks were. Now, Jesus was not anti-Jewish. Jesus was a wonderful Jew and died believing he was a Jew and is a Jew. And so he's not anti-Jewish at all. He's Jewish in the sense of Jeremiah and, and Micah and Amos, prophets who were critiquing what's wrong with Judaism in our time and place, not wanting to not be a Jew, but saying, because I am, here's what's wrong with us and here's how we need to right the ship. And so he, on many levels, brought a reinterpretation of the story of what it meant to be Jewish in his time and place. It was believed that if you were born of a Jewish woman, you were Jewish, you're in. 
And then it, just a few things. If you go to temple three times a year, if you mess up and do something really bad, you take sacrifices, you pay your dues, you get forgiven, and don't eat pork. So, you know, there were some basic things that you had to do. And, but that if you did that, you were part of the chosen people of God. You were in. You were among the elect. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Being really Jewish is much, 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 much more than that. Because Jesus saw that a lot of the powerful religious structure of his day had become corrupt and people were amassing power and people were uh, saying who's on the inside and who's on the out and they were making money off of it and the whole thing had drifted far away from God's desire. According to Jesus, God's desire is that all humanity will come and worship the one beloved source of all that is. And the, the, the election of the Jewish people was to be a light to the rest of the world. Come, this is what God is like. God loves us all. And not to be barriers of who's on the inside and who's on the out, not to be elitist, but to say, no, 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 come, this is open to all. And that got Jesus into a lot of trouble because that threatened the power structures of the day and the money-making structures of the day. So that's part of what's going on in this story. The first people invited were in one reading, the Jewish people of the day. And well, no, 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 we're already in, we're too busy, we can't come to the banquet, we're busy. And the, but the king wants everybody to come. So go get the halt, the lame, the outcast, bring them in. I want the rap. I want to throw a party to end all parties. In fact, a lot of Jesus's parables were about parties and feasts and food. It seems Jesus' idea of God was a lot more fun-loving than yours is. And we, I hope, in the next year, will loosen up a little bit and become a little more fun-loving ourselves because the God that Jesus represents really seemed to love to enjoy a good time. There you go. All right. You know, in my Pentecostal days, I'd have gotten an amen, but I'll take a, I'll take a here, here. I'll take a here, here from you guys. So the, this is one reading of the story. And so... Jesus has opened the doors for all to come in. So that's one way of looking at it. But you and I don't struggle with not eating pork and having to go to temple three times a year and doing a lot of the things that people did in that time and place to be acceptable to God. We don't struggle with that stuff. But I suggest on many levels, much of what we have is just as corrupt as the folks in Jesus' time and place are. I mean, we put up huge barriers of who's in and who's out, who's acceptable, who's not. A lot of church doors have that stuff. Uh, and I don't think Jesus would be any kinder to us than he was to the powers in his time. What Jesus was addressing in his time and place was in a sense to say, look, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. <laughs> or in this, 
Just going to temple doesn't make you Jewish any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. And so we confuse what it is to be a person in communion with God and with each other. So here's the way I read the things that you and I struggle. We struggle with being present in the moment because we're so concerned about what's going to happen next. And the biggest limitation to being present to the moment, because in this story, the, the, the folks with the excuses why they couldn't come to the party, those were legitimate excuses. And they were so consumed about what's going to happen in the future, they missed the inbreaking of grace and the realm of God into this moment. They missed the banquet, the richness of life, because they were so concerned about planning for the future. Well, I just got married. I got to get my, my family settled down. We got to get moved in. Or I just bought five oxen. We got to go get those trained because they're making a mess all over everywhere and we're shoveling stuff everywhere. We got to get that settled. And so they have legitimate concerns, but it's all future oriented. It's not in the, and they miss the here and now by being so focused on what's going to happen next. And you and I do that all the time. We're so concerned about what's going to happen in the future. And the biggest limitation for us living in this present moment, right here, right now, is often fear. Because fear is tied to the future. Fear is future-oriented. Well, there won't be enough next week. Or there could be a fire next week. Or there could be more smoke. So I better plan. Or we may not have enough money for a retirement, so I better work a couple of shifts more this week to put aside for retirement. So we're always so future or that there won't be enough. It won't be good then. My God, what if Trump gets reelected? Whoa! So the fear of the future frightens us into behavior that we miss the gift of the banquet that's right here, right now. That's what we struggle with. Jim Stumbo, who preached last week, did a marvelous job. I love Jim Stumbo. He's a wonderful man. And that story he shared is exactly what I'm talking about. He shared this beautiful story. If you haven't heard Jim's sermon last week, it's on our webpage for the church. You can find it. It's well worth your time. But Jim shared a story about a young couple that was going to a nursery to get some plants for their house. And as they were driving, it was raining and it was cold and they saw a man walking with no umbrella. He was wet and cold and just walking where he shouldn't have been all alone. And they stopped, they turned their car around. How can we go get plants at a nursery when this man is, is cold and wet? So they stopped, they, they didn't allow their need for the beauty of their home to interrupt the banquet that was waiting for them in the gift of this man who was wet and cold. So they stopped their car, took the man to talk about, he told the whole story, it's beautiful. And at the end, the three people involved all had an experience of love and connection that was deep and profound. Folks, that's the banquet. That's the richness of this life. And if we're so concerned and consumed about what's going to happen next, we miss the moment in the right here, the right now. Now I want to tell you that often when the realm of God comes, it will interrupt your life. And it's never convenient. It's not a nine to five interruption. 
And it's never cheap and easy. But it's a banquet if we could stop and embrace the moment that is given to us and the opportunity in the moment and not allow the fear of what's going to happen drive us away. And let me talk a moment about this fear stuff. There was a wonderful study done by Penn State University, and I am loath to mention the name Penn State since they beat my beloved West Virginia Mountaineers so badly yesterday, but I'll put that aside for the moment. And Penn State did this study about what people worry about. And so they had this group of people, and for 10 days, people had to write down all the things they worried about for 10 days. And they texted these people four times a day to make them stop and remember, what did you worry about in the last two hours? So, so after 10 days, everybody had this huge list of all these things they worried about. Then after 30 days, they came back and had everybody look at all the things they worried about for the 10 days to see how many actually happened. 91% of the things they worried about never happened, ever. And of the 9% that did, a third of those weren't nearly as bad as the folks thought it was going to be. So over 90% of what you and I worry about is going to happen or mess our life up or not. It's never going to happen. And we're allowing that to interrupt the possibility of the wonder, the majesty of this moment where God may be interrupting my life to say I love you. Here's another human being, connect. So we gotta not listen to these fears. But most of this stuff is, it's just not gonna happen. And we allow it to rob us of the wonder and the mystery of being in the present. One of the things I've learned about God, Psalm 139, I love Psalm 139. Psalm 139 says, God probe me and know me. If there's any offensive way, find it in me. And the psalmist says, if I, if I go as far to the east as I can go, you're still there. If I go to the highest mountain, you're still there. No matter where I go, there you are. But the one place I have discovered God is not is in my fears and in my dreams and my fantasies. Because in my dreams and my fantasies, I'm God. <laughs> and in my fears, there's no God. The, the, where God dwells, this is my experience, after more than 50 years of, of trying to mess with this stuff, where God dwells is in this present moment right now. God is the God of reality. God is here right now. And if I run off, look in other places, I could well miss the divine one I'm trying to connect with. That's what I'm trying to say. So uh, to help me in my struggle with these fears and things that I'm talking about, I developed a little mantra. Every year I develop a mantra for the year uh, to help keep me focused when I get freaked out and I let fear run rampant or I get much bigger headed than I even am now. I... I things to pull me back to reality. So the first year, I think my, my mantra was, get over your bad self. That was every time I 
somebody was annoying me or things weren't going, I'd get over your bad self, get over your bad self, that's your mantra. The next year was you don't know, you don't know. So I would, so, but the one of, of mo- most recent was the, my mantra is right here, right now with you. So when I start to get freaked out, I just stop and breathe and remind myself, oh, wait a minute, I'm right here, right now with you to help center me, to help ground me, to help push those fears that assault us all. Our whole culture is built on it. You don't have enough, you better plan. You need, you need, you need. You're not enough, you're not. Our whole culture is screwed. See, and, and my frustration is I get 15 minutes a week to try to undo what thousands of messages bombard your brain with all week long. So right here, right now, with you. And I base that on my reading of that text I've shared with you a number of times, and I'm going to say it a number more while I'm here. Hebrews 13 and 5. Hebrews is a letter in the New Testament. Chapter 13, verse 5. It's my favorite verse in the Bible. When I was a hospice chaplain, I prayed this with more than 3,000 people that died. Hebrews 13 and 5, and I'm going to give you an elongated translation from what's called the Amplified Bible that says, let your character or moral disposition be free from the love of money, including greed, avarice, lust, and craving for earthly possessions, and be satisfied in the right here, right now, present moment, the circumstances with what you have. For the source of all that is, has said, in not any way will I give you up nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless nor forsake you nor let down my relax or relax my embrace of you. Assuredly not. God has promised that. In fact, that verse is three times in the Bible. God told that to Joshua after Moses died. I think it's also in Peter, the first epistle of Peter, and it's in the letter to the Hebrews. God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So when I get worked up, when I get freaked out, all right, I'm right here, right now, with you. Because I don't want to miss the invitations to the realm of God that will interrupt all the things I have planned this week. Because I want to connect with the divine and with you. So I think you get the point of what I was trying to say. Don't allow the fear of what probably is not going to happen. Steal the opportunity of the inbreaking of God's grace and God's realm in your life in this moment right now.